Welcome to the Porch Sittings Podcast, the show where we dive deep into the concept of diversity, how it's being pursued, the complexities involved, and the richness of life when you embrace it. This podcast is hosted by Urban Avenues, an organization in Birmingham, Alabama, that unites disconnected communities by inspiring people to be curious and make beautiful things together. Today, we're discussing drawing out beauty in the hard places with our guests, Allison Kovac and Teresa Goins. These women exemplify the power in immersing yourself into a community to encourage positive change. Allison's a film producer and partner at Cottonseed Studio in Opelika, Alabama, and has been working in the film industry since 1997. She believes in creating high quality content that inspires hope through truth. She's won 21 film and television awards as a director and producer. And Teresa Goins is the founder and CEO of Old School Cafe. Her experience with working with gang-affiliated youth as a juvenile corrections officer motivated her to find new ways to break the cycle of incarceration by giving young people hope, economic opportunities, and training in a supportive environment that doubles as a jazz-themed restaurant in San Francisco. Goins is the recipient of the 2009 FBI Director's Community Leadership Award and the 2013 CNN Hero Award. And now, our hosts of the Porch Sittings Podcast, Urban Avenue's Executive Director, John Lankford, and Strick City Live founder, DJ Strick. This is our very first podcast of the Porch Sitting Podcast, and I am Strick, and along with me today... is John, and I'm excited to be with you, Strick. This is, uh, this is a new opportunity for me to be a, be a part of something like this that uh, uh, takes all of your art and moves it into a great conversation. So, excited to be with you. John, can I be a little honest with you right now? I'm slightly nervous. Really? Now, Just a why little bit. Why are that's, you nervous? That's a good. That's a good question. I'm normally not nervous, but uh, by it being the first show, it's just uh, an exciting nervous feeling. Maybe I'll say it that way. Yeah, there's a lot of energy at this end too. I got to tell you, this is not only the first show for us uh, together, but it's also the first time uh, I've ever been on a show like this. So. Um, it's going to be great what that's going to lead to, Strick. I'm believing it. Well, I think it's going to be great. Um, and you have done a great job of assembling some great guests for us today, uh, along with the idea of porch sitting. John, you, uh, when we talked about this months ago, it was the first time I ever heard of that term, porch sitting, uh, as an opportunity to have conversations. Could you explain that a little bit for me? Yeah, it's really, a, it, it's a new idea that has a lot of old roots. And that is, you know, when you think about it, people prior to all the things that we do today in just normal context of social media and even phone conversations, um, but people had things that they needed to sort out in their communities, or they had things that they were curious about, or they were just meeting interesting people for the first time. Most of that happened on the front porch of their house. And so, we think about that as something that is an older concept, but you know, if you really think about it, so many of the things that we want to do and we need to do right now in our society in America um, end up being best sorted out on the porch of, uh, of our houses. And so with that in mind, this idea is let's do something that creates honest, interesting, easy conversation amongst friends uh, and then let that lead to a whole different kind of relationship that we start to develop in our communities and a willingness to really think together in different ways. So it's a great place for curiosity and laughter and, uh, and also some pretty serious conversation. I had an opportunity, John, to actually take a look at some of the port cities that you guys have done in the past. And I was just blown away by 
blown away by the conversation and the openness of the participants. I mean, it's been great. I love the concept. I really do think that uh, where we are as a country, if people from uh, diverse backgrounds can come together and have conversations, maybe we can learn a lot from each other. Strick, I believe it more than I believe almost anything else that uh, now is the perfect time for that. And that is the answer. We have got to be able to get relationships um, uh, fired up around the fact that we all have a lot of common interest and we also have a lot more in common than we think we ever do. But the only way to get there is to spend time together and have honest uh, dialogue and, uh, and pursue each other. So I cannot be more excited about the two guests that we have today when we look at our very first episode. So uh, let me tell you first about the first one that I met, and that is uh, Teresa Goins and I met when, uh, oh gosh, five, six years ago now, um, she met my daughter uh, who was actually in San Francisco working at the time in the public defender's office and came to a place called Old School Cafe for dinner. And uh, when I actually went to visit my daughter, she said, Dad, the very first place we've got to go is Old School. And as she explained it to me, I was trying to piece together the different elements of it. But when I walked in the door for the first time, it all came to life and was really, really clear that Teresa has created something incredibly unique and also valuable to the community of Hunters Point in San Francisco. And so exploring that and exploring her story is going to be a lot of fun. What's interesting is in that very first meeting of Teresa, she introduced me to someone who's become a dear friend in my own home state here in Alabama. And so uh, Allison Kovac, um, had actually been a filmmaker that was working on project in San Francisco, met Teresa at a Bible study, and then became very interested in the work that was in Teresa's mind and heart. And together, a lot of what uh, has happened both in San Francisco uh, and in Opelika has been an, an entwined set of dreams. So uh, Allison and her husband, Aaron, have been great friends, and I'm excited that they would both spend time with us today. Um, and think about a lot of what we want to discuss. So that's a good segue, Jen. We're going to bring them on. Ladies, it's good to see you today. Hi. It's great to be with you. Thank you so very much to take the time to hang out with us. Now, I know John, and uh, I started off saying I was a little nervous. Like, knowing John, I know that he knows a lot of interesting people, and I'm intrigued mm -hmm. uh, by you guys' story, and I would love to dive down into it, especially... Uh, the story of um, Allison and being from Opelika. So we have that in common. I'm excited to kind of talk about um, your path and how it all connects and how we, uh, the idea of port sitting or from a diverse standpoint, how you have found ways to kind of work together. That being said, John, I know that uh, your idea of bringing these ladies together here um, it was a chance to talk about their work and how you see their work impacting their particular areas. But I know you have a question that you want to start start with. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, as I think about the two of you, I think one thing that definitely unites you both is um, you've taken the time to immerse yourselves into the communities that you love in a way that you can feel their pain in a way that you also can see their hope and see their joys. And that is, in a lot of ways, become energy for the hard work that both of you do, which 
Uh, Strick, let me tell you, these are two ladies that um, have the grit and have the determination to push through a lot of mountains. So um, I don't know, Allison, maybe we start with you since Strick was talking about Opelika. Talk about what that's been like for you to immerse yourself there. Um, in Opelika specifically? Yeah. Um, so my, I was, uh, you know, I was raised here in Alabama and honestly, I wanted to leave as quickly as I could and, um, wanted to kind of escape, escape my home, escape the South. And cause there's a lot of things I just didn't, um, didn't resonate with me. Uh, and then lo and behold, 20 years later, I find myself right back to the same place I started. Um, and I think having a, a better understanding the older I get that if I want to see change come about, that the best way to make that happen is from the inside and not from the outside looking in. Um, so my husband and I decided to come back to my hometown about 12 years ago now. And he is um, he was a framer when I first met him building houses in Canada. He's Canadian. And uh he developed a passion for restoring historic structures. Um, and when we moved here to Alabama, we were surrounded by them. Um, and there was a downtown, as you know, Strick, there's a downtown Opelika that was a bit dilapidated and had kind of lost its life. It had been decades since, um, you know, anything had really been going on. And so we started, um, you know, one by one moving into that space and, and seeing uh, what, what buildings that we could put our hands to. Um, but as far as how it connects to the community, I would say, you know, that my husband's passion for restoring historic properties is only beat by um, his heart for other people who've had, um, especially particularly young men who've had um, tr trouble within their circumstances and overcoming. And so he started to intentionally hire the unhirable um, the, the folks, kids, you know, um, that didn't have job experience. Um, a lot of them had a lot of criminal history and, um, and the more we got into that, the more we realized, um, the cycle that those kids can stay in a lot of times is because of how the system is set up. And, and even when it comes to work, like they have, you know, if you've, if you are reporting to, um, if you're reporting to a probation officer or parole officer, there's a lot of drug testing and meetings and things that normal jobs just aren't set up to accommodate. And um, so we we started seeking out those that were looking to, you know, build their life in a different way and try to give them work. And honestly, it's because it's what happened to my husband. It's his story. And wow. he there was, a, there was a framer in Canada that hired um, him at a point in his life when he was unhirable. That is an awesome story and, and way to take something that you experienced personally and uh, use it to help someone else. So you said that was 12 years ago when you guys actually got uh, down to Alabama. Uh, how long before you got there did you decide to start actually building? Well, I, honestly, immediately, because we didn't intend to stay. Originally, we were just going to find a place to hang our hat in the US because we were actually living in Canada at the time. And so our original goal was just to build something that we could come to a loft apartment in downtown that we could come to when we were here visiting family. Um, but then we fell into community here right. and we fell in love with a lot of families and and really found our home. And so it's funny, it was we started immediately, but it wasn't for the intention to stay. Um, but 
uh, we ended up staying because of the work. So do you see a different uh, Alabama now than you saw when you were growing up? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of work left to be done, but I would definitely say that, you know, we're in a different space now. But but I also think that that's individual. Like, I think that there are, you know, some some merry-go-round philosophies and pods of people that just kind of stay in their space and don't move and progress. So mm -hmm. it really has more to do, I think, with where you put yourself than the environment around you and how much the environment's changing, because um, I put myself in different environments than I did growing up. And so that's probably why I've seen more change than because maybe the environment itself was changing. That's very good. That's very good. I like that. Um, finding now you're able to find your own community, uh, people of like minds, uh, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And that probably makes you feel like you're more at home, right? Mm -hmm. That's Definitely. Good. More than when I was growing up, I felt like a complete outsider. And now there's no place that feels like home to me, like Alabama. I would always tell people, you know, I was from Alabama, uh, where I'm still living in Alabama, but Opelika, where I grew up, was more of a, um, I call it the country on my end. And uh, <laughs> now I live in the big city of Birmingham. I say, oh, I'm a city boy. Uh, the, Birmingham is really not that big. Uh, but I always felt like I was um, kind of odd myself growing up in that city. But, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you, you find place. And again, like you found community back at home. Um, I found community here and um, I'm loving it as well. Uh, and I'm not that far, just a short little drive down back to uh, seeing people that I grew up with and my family. So that's good. I, I really appreciate that we have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the core, right? Is your community. You can find community anywhere. It's about, it's about what you're looking for. That's true. That's true. That's an interesting transition too, Teresa, to uh, to you and how you established community in San Francisco because uh, you're not you're not a native, right? You came from somewhere else and spent time in Southern California. And um, open up that story for us a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and I actually did grow up in the country in Arizona, um, and then went to college in Southern California and ended up in San Francisco. So yeah, I'm definitely um, a country girl in the city there. Hmm. That's great. How did you initially um, start to sort of take ownership in your community in San Francisco? And uh, what was the pathway that led to you really caring about the place like you do today? Well, um, I've always believed in living in the community where I'm where I'm called or I'm serving. And so um, that so, you know, having the home there I've, when I was living in Southern California also was living in the community um, where where I was serving. And so um, that's just that's kind of a, a value for me that feels like when you're working alongside side by side together for the things that you want um, to happen in your community. It's just a lot more. It's the neighbor thing. Right. It's more powerful together than alone. So. Um, yeah, my background was um, as a correction officer. I worked with young people that were incarcerated um, and wanted to, you know, create something that was going to um, specifically break that cycle of youth getting out, not finding work, um, just as Allison was saying. And, um, you know, because a lot of them have felonies and um, people wouldn't hire them or if they did get a job, they'd lose it pretty quickly because they didn't necessarily have the mentorship of how to um 
maybe not cuss out your boss when you're <laughs> angry um, and having that wraparound support of how to keep a job and how to continue to, to move up once you get it. And so, um, yeah, so when I came to San Francisco, um, I was hoping to find a program that already existed that I could help uh, plug our young people into. Um, and I, because I didn't find anything or any place that was hiring these young people, that's why I started old school. That is That's very fair. interesting. John, uh, you actually brought like these two ladies. And I know that you guys know each other, right? That's correct. Uh, and the backgrounds of helping some un, um, underserved communities, uh, that heart has to come from somewhere. And it is both you guys stories of, hey, I'm a correctional officer and you probably are had an opportunity to be exposed to a group of people that you never would be exposed to before. Is that the reason why you went that direction? Maybe uh, seeing them on a day to day basis changed your mind on who these people really are? Oh, absolutely. I think that. Um, so I became a correction officer right out of um, college. So my degree was in psychology, and I had actually planned to go on to be become a psychologist was the initial plan, um, and uh, worked for a couple of years as an officer with um, in the juvenile division. And yeah, I mean, my heart was just sort of broken open to see how many young people in our country are um, caught up and locked up in a system that you know, 75% won't get out of, it'll be in and out the rest of their life. And I really felt like um, how many, when we're, when we're um, voting and making laws, um, if you're not connected, if you don't have somebody you love that's in, in that system, if you haven't been exposed, it's easy to sort of lock people up and throw away the key because it's, it's, criminals. It's those people over there, right? right. Um, and so I felt like how many people don't actually know that these are our kids that haven't had a connection to know that we're literally as a country locking up more children than any country in the world. And so kind of seeing the massive number and hearing their stories um, and seeing how much trauma they'd already been through in their young 14, 15 years of life I thought, you know, our whole, the, the masses need to understand and see these kids as, as I'm seeing them as children that have had trauma, that are needing um, a safe place and love and a, and a true opportunity to choose another path. It's one thing to say, do better, but if you haven't seen better, if you haven't been offered better, um, if you've got so much like trauma inside that's not really an option. And so that, yeah, became, became a driving factor and changed the trajectory of my life to um, not only wanting to see a solution for them, but wanting to connect a bridge of those, the, the people that are not connecting, you know, that are not seen. Because I think that um, when something feels separate, separate from you, it's easy to make decisions and laws um, that don't affect you. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about um, how in our climate today, there are clear words that are being used to divide or to categorize a group of people? So the people that you guys work with, they might be categorized as a whole and say, hey, these are thugs, like those mm -hmm. thugs there. Or if the president would talk, the president would talk to you, hey, uh, suburban women, I've saved your community. Like how... Uh, in the climate that we're in today, how does those words, based on who you work with, affect you? <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and it's not really a political and this is not politics because it can come no. from any group of people that will say, hey, we want to be sure that we stay here and they stay over there. So you divide the line and we use simple words to um, convey a message that people that don't know, that haven't experienced what you experience would say, that's right. Those are thugs and we need to stay away. Mm -hmm. I think the best because a lot of emotion comes up, you know, gotcha. um, uh, anger and grief are the two um, emotions that come up for me in that like my heart is grieved when I hear that stuff. And I, I think the best way to describe it is um, how would you it, it's the same way you would feel if somebody was talking that way about your child, right? You know, somebody, um, you know, everybody loves their child, right? right? Even if they're acting crazy, even if they're, you know, um, but, but to have somebody just see them as worthless um, mm. and, and anytime we dehumanize another person, um, we, we dehumanize all of us, right? And right. so um, that's part of why I wanted to create a restaurant in an in a environment that would actually connect and an equal, like a, a human to human, not in a, you know, pass through and visit, but actually connect, sit down, break bread and interact human to human to see, like, I've literally had customers go, um, I can't imagine Joey, or I'm just going to use Joey instead of a real name, Joey right. ever doing something bad. Like, like they, they, because they had, they had gotten to know Joey from coming right. in several times. They got to know his story. They got to know his dreams, his sense of humor. And they were having a hard time reconciling that this is a young man that has been locked up most of his life that has committed several felonies because they saw Joey, they saw the, the young man, they saw somebody that could be their son um, versus just seeing him for the worst, you know, mistakes he's made. None of us want to be judged on, Oh my gosh, if we just got all put on front street for the worst mistakes we've ever made. And that's all that defined us. Like none of us want that. Right. And so, so that was like, for me, that was a big win because they were actually seeing the young man. They were seeing the, um, you know, it could be their son versus as a, a, a criminal or a thug. And I think until we have experience and relationship and connect, um, again, it's easy to dehumanize them, those others versus, you know, we. I get it. That's great. Teresa, with that in mind, um, give us a snapshot of what, if we were to walk in this afternoon uh, to old school and you guys were open and you were doing your thing the way you have uh, taught and developed this team of young people to express themselves in such a creative way, what would that experience be like uh, for someone that walks into old school for the first time? And how does that connect to sort of the self-expression and uh, reality that you wanna introduce people to as it relates to your students. Yeah, well, so first of all, we start with the um, changing the power dynamic. So when you invite somebody into your home, you're the host, right? So you're in a position of power, if we wanna say, right? You are the one giving, inviting in, and you're the one that's going to um, guide them as to how their, their experience is gonna be. And so what I love about that is the youth are in that position. This is their home. They're going to be hosting you. Um, they'll be guiding you. They're the one you look to um, for what you need, to ask questions, to know how this experience is going to go. And so that's that's the beginning thing that's really intentional. So the youth are going to be the hosts. 
They're the servers. They're in the back um, as the chefs, dishwashers, bussers. They're also the entertainment. So you should walk in and see a really classy um, speakeasy 1920s to 1940s jazz club that's all run by young people ages 16 to 22. And so the adults ideally are in the background um, supporting coaching um, from the background, but the youth are up front. And so you're just literally in everything going to experience um, young people. So there, you know, a lot of the young people I worked with never were never in conversation with adults, except for when they were in trouble and being spoken down to. So probation officers, teachers, you know, parents, cops, you know, they're in trouble. They're always in this position. And so what I love about this is they're learning to initiate conversation with adults from a position of equal and power and welcoming and learning to engage and talk and build that confidence. And they speak in front of the audience and they share, this is, this is our place. This is what it's about. This is our story. And so just even from that dynamic, I feel like it begins the shifting um, of the power dynamic and builds confidence. No, oh, that's, that's transformational too. When they have that sense of identity with a larger story that they're a part of, uh, I gotta believe that puts a smile on your face whenever you see the magic happen on that. Oh, it's nothing like it. Even I get kicked out of the kitchen by the young people. You know, if I come back in there and we call it in the weeds, things are really busy and I might want to like, you know, show somebody something or take a picture and they're like, oh, you know, mama T like not right now, you know? And, and that's a great thing when they feel that freedom to say to an adult and to, you know, um, somebody in technically a position of power, um, you need to step out for a minute. <laughs> this is not the time, right? So that's when you know it's it's a it, that's a win. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so Strick, I'm gonna ask one more thing, and that is because I know these two ladies know each other. Um, uh, Teresa, tell us a little bit about how you invited Allison into the story at early stage, and then Allison, I'd love to hear you too talk about as a filmmaker. Um, some of the things that uh, recent projects that you've been involved in are working to accomplish that same thing from a different genre and from a different approach. Um, love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I love, I think what's great about you, John, talking about the porch and the community coming around to um, to solve things. I mean, this is a perfect example of that. You know, that I think God gives us um, all pieces of a puzzle. None of us are meant to be an island or to do everything on our own. And so, um, as you mentioned, I met Allison. It was um, uh, we were at breakfast with some friends, and she'd come, and uh, we connected immediately. She heard my vision, and she's also a dreamer. So, um, at the time, I had I had the building. Um, but I didn't have um, the money to turn it into a restaurant. So it was sort of like a warehouse. Um, there was a, a church that was meeting in there before us, um, but just kind of a um, like a warehouse situation. And so um, I was doing um, I was doing like pop-ups there. So we'd have like food and dancing and music and things like that. And so um, she loved the vision and was like, I invited them to come um, to join us that night for one of our sort of pop-up events. And she's like, I love this. I love your vision. And she volunteered, volunteered her um, husband uh, to come help me with some of the build out. And so um, 
you know, then I got a chance to go see a premiere of one of her films and met her whole family. And then her, her husband and her brother all came out and stayed with me for a couple months and helped build it, do the initial, um, you know, framing out um, an initial part of the build process with our youth. Um, and so it was a really powerful, um, you know, beautiful. And I always tell them, you know, the lasting impact because we, you know, God used them. I didn't, again, I didn't have the, um, the money or the support or help in, in that way. We may not have ever gotten open. Um, and so it's a really that connection and their love and willing to put their lives on hold to come and just build it and not just do it themselves, but willing to like take it, take twice as long to build it with our youth and to teach them and let them be a part of the process and use power saws, which was scary for me. I had to leave on those days. Um, but, uh, it just, yeah, became a very, um, a very special connection and they're a huge part of our story of getting old school, um, launched. So, Allison, what did you see um, or feel when you heard Teresa's story to make you want to um, jump on board so quickly? Well, I think, you know, I you were talking about the power of words. And I think that what really struck me with what Teresa was trying to do was to get people to see kids outside of their labels mm -hmm. and outside of um, the words that have been put on them. Um, and to give them an opportunity to like show the world who they really were. She's got a great phrase that like, I see the gold in you and wow. I want to see it as well. And, and um, so definitely that's what my heart's always leaned in that direction. So is my husband's, you know, because of his work. And so I think that was what drew me into it. Also, I would say her enthusiasm and just blind faith to chase something she believed in. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories with her is when, we went out to San Francisco and she, and she and I were running around Home Depot trying to find things, you know, uh, to keep the guys moving. And um, and she didn't have she hired an electrician to come in after us, but didn't have the money to pay them. And I looked at her and was like, listen, you know, it's coming from a building world with my husband and understanding a draw schedule and how important it is to make sure that you keep your subs moving you know, at a rate um, and you have to have funding to do that and to hear her not have the funding, yet she was making these like leaps of faith decisions to keep moving. And I was like, listen, no judgment or anything, but like, why are, why are you hiring somebody when you can't afford to pay them? <laughs> and, um, and she was like, well, just cause I believe that we're going to, we'll find a way and we are just going to have to keep stepping out in faith. And I watched her do that, watched her do that for many years um, just keep stepping in faith and believing that people were going to were going to step alongside of her. So I think that was um, for me personally, that was a big part of my journey alongside Teresa was like she really um, strengthened my faith that when you believe in something, if you just step out in it, um, the pieces will 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 fall together and they'll come together until like wait until everything is ready and perfectly aligned to make a move then nothing will really ever get done. That's good. That's good. So she mentioned um, being a dreamer. And do you think that part, along with what you're saying, also helped like her vision and you having vision and having to work through like some of the ideas you have? Do you think that also kind of united the two of you? 
Oh, for sure. I mean, I think dreamers encourage dreamers because a lot of times when you are a dreamer and you can see where things can go, especially, you know, it's it's hand in hand and built when you dream and you're wanting to build things and you're also dreaming for people who don't see the gold in themselves. It's the same skill set, that same quality of like, I see your potential. I see the building's potential. I see the person's potential. And sometimes that can be discouraging because the person or even the people you're pitching the building idea to, they don't see it. And right. so especially is discouraging with people when when you're working with youth and you can see how much potential is inside of them that they can't see and you just want to tell them, but you know they won't receive it, that you have to show them day by day. And um, so I think dreamers coming together, we encourage each other because it's like, oh, you see it too? Yeah, I right. see it too. Right. And that, that energy to keep going. That's good. That's good. So let me ask you this question. Um, at any point, did the idea or did you say, hey, I want to help you overcome or let's work together? Did any time that you guys come to uh, to say, hey, we're two women, let's support each other. Did, did, was that a part of the idea at all is just kindred spirits or did you say, hey, I understand how people may not understand your vision, so I'm going to understand it and support you with it. Did that come up in any conversation? I, I'll let Allison, I, I think from my perspective, it was just, it was immediate kindred spirits. It was gotcha. like, I don't meet very many people that um, have a similar, well, it's, what's funny about Allison too is her and I have similar tastes, which gotcha. like, you know, so that also I don't meet very many visionaries or dreamers that can see. So like my board and most people, when I brought them in to see the building, they were like, I don't right. see it. Right. <laughs> and thank God they kind of like were like, OK, but they thought it was a horrible idea. They didn't they didn't they like told later they were like, we thought it was going to be a disaster, you know, um, or I've had people be like, oh, no, you need to make it all modern. And so the fact that like I trust Allison's um, vision with stuff because I know she's not going to try to make something all like hipster looking or, you know, we have similar tastes and things and she, we both can see what's possible. And so I felt like, um, from the beginning, it was just sort of that, like, Oh, I met somebody else that sort of gets me. Mm. That's good. That's huge. That's huge. As I think about the two of you too, um, this has got to have, uh, had periods of time where it was really hard um, uh, because your dream and vision, Teresa, like you just said, uh, not everybody gets it or got it. Um, Allison, same thing with the ideas around stories that you and other artists want to turn into um, a storyline that becomes either a film or a series or something like that. Um, talk about the hard parts of of helping people come together around a vision like that. And Alice, maybe we'll, we'll think about that with uh, you and some of the films, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm probably gonna give you an unconventional answer though, um, <laughs> because I could list out, I mean, everything you said is 100% true when other people, when you're trying to get other people on board with what you see, like those are definite hardships and, you know, um, even even just getting the per the very person you're trying to help to trust and you know trust you and build rapport and like it's it's a, it takes a lot of patience. It's not something that happens overnight. It takes a lot of patience, um, and you have to throw out your measuring sticks of success. You know, 
um, and just show up. So I, you know, there's definitely, I could list you the hundred tactical and situational challenges that you can have when you decide to like immerse yourself into a new place and a new environment in order to serve and help. But I would tell you the biggest challenges are personal because mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times we all leap with heart. Like for me, what drove me was that I was um, and what leaned my heart towards the issues that I follow now is that I did, I saw a lot of injustice growing up and I have like a justice heart and I wanted to do something to fix it. Um, what I didn't know that I think a lot of people don't know when they get tugged at their heart is that not only are the people you're trying to serve have needs, but so do you. And you don't know your own needs walking into an environment. You can end up hurting the people you're trying to help. And so I would say the biggest challenges for me in filmmaking and building and walking alongside my husband with his work with young men has been like identifying my needs getting bubbled to the surface and having to face the things in me that called me to that kind of work. And um, because a lot of times if you enter in with your own needs, um, and especially if you're unaware of them, when mm -hmm. those needs get met because you're dealing with broken people, um, mm -hmm. it can be encouraging and it can be, and like I said, you can actually end up hurting them um, because they fail your expectations yeah. for change. And so like that's been some of the biggest, hardest parts of this journey is like the self-discovery and like having to really look hard in the mirror and say, okay, Allison, you wanna help people that you think have needs, but let's start with you. Like, what are your own needs here? What are you trying to get met in helping others? Are you trying to feel significant, to be seen, to feel like you make a difference? Like, and and I think starting there is hard, but it's also some of the most you know rewarding work. And you hear that a lot when people say, "Oh, I went on a mission trip, and I was changed more than I changed the people." That yeah, that that's got to awesome. be humbling. That's got to be humbling as you do oh. that, especially if you've got <laughs> more than just a one and done kind of mindset. I mean, if you're really committing to something. The, those needs and those expectations and missed expectations are, are probably going to come out for a long time. So, well, yeah, it's like an onion. they just keep coming. <laughs> you know, like you just that layer after layer, you realize, uh, you know, how much in you needs to change. And, and that's, but that's the beauty of the process. That's what's great about entering into spaces that aren't familiar to you is it challenges you and it challenges yep. your perspective, it challenges how you see the world and it challenges how you see yourself. And so that's, you know, that's also the rewarding work in it. Allison, you kind of asked, answered the question already I was going to ask. I really want to know, really from both you ladies, like your desire to help um, is great, especially for the communities that you're trying to help. But they also have to want your help and to convince them that, hey, my heart is in the right place. I really just want to see you successful when everybody else around uh, them uh, especially that may look like you, uh, haven't been a helping hand. They're the ones that really uh, have hurt them in a lot of cases. So mm -hmm. how have you overcome some of that pushback or how have you learned how to handle the pushback from the people that you are trying to serve? Uh, a lot of humility, consistency, being, you know, I think, being vulnerable and showing that you're super flawed and you're learning. And, um, and a lot of it is consistent for on my side and my experience is, is being consistent, especially working with young 
men, they will test you right. and um, they're doing it on purpose to kind of see where, you know, where, what, what are your motives? Right. Because again, if you're there to get your own needs met, like that gets revealed pretty quickly when they start testing. How about you, yeah. Teresa? I just say, I mean, hundred percent in agreement with what Allison said. And I think um, one of the things that God showed me early on was to hold, hold with open hands. Right. And so um, uh, early on, I had a situation where um, my, my goddaughter was in a, in a um, pretty traumatic situation. I had taken custody of her when she was a teenager and pregnant. I had several, a couple of my kids that this is when it's still going out of my house. So I'd only had a few things here and there. So it was, I was doing pop-ups and um, didn't have regular, regularly programming available for them, but just trying to mentor and do some things. And so it was like this back-to-back -back series of um, my, my goddaughter got trafficked um, by a pimp. Uh, I had um, two, two youth um, went on a robbing spree and hits, hit a cop in a car and killed him. Um, and then shortly after a young lady was um, shot in a drive by wrong place, wrong time that had a scholarship going to college. So it was like, just felt like, <laughs> you know, wow. all of this. And I remember just feeling super hopeless. And I was like, Lord, why am I, I can't even help my own goddaughter. Um, and all of these kids that I'm super close to them and trying to like love and mentor support, like it feels like nothing makes a difference anyway. So, so why am I, why am I even doing this? This is nothing, nothing, you know, everybody, we're all going to make our own choices. It just sort of felt like in this hopeless, you know, and I remember God saying, just coming and saying, um, love doesn't return void when you love, you know, with my love and you just have to hold, like the, you can't control the outcome. It's it, you just, you, you do what I've called you to do and you leave the rest up to me. And it just was like this sort of like dying and releasing um, and not feeling like, well, I have to figure out, you know, like again, even with my goddaughter, I loved her, but I couldn't choose for her to right. leave this situation um, and helping her get out and she'd go back. And, you know, so all those things, it just open hands and saying, I'm going to show up and listen to do what I'm called to do and love and provide opportunity and, and love people on their journey. Um, because, you know, I'm stubborn. I've had plenty of times that I'm so grateful that God just stayed with me on my journey um, and didn't give up on me. And so I think that helped to release a lot of um, control or frustration or expectation. Doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt when somebody you love is doing something that's, you know, um, destructive to them, right. but um, it just allows you to love freely and wholeheartedly without holding back and also without expectation um, when you can stay in that place. Wow. Allison, do you have a story similar to that where you were at a place where it seemed like all the walls were kind of coming down and you had to kind of figure it out for your work as well? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, there's, it. yeah, I was, um, even just recently, um, you know, the, a lot of the young men that I work with deal with drug addiction <laughs> and that's a, a, a pretty difficult cycle to see somebody go through. Um, so you go, you, it's hard not to, um, like Teresa was saying, like learning how to keep your hands open 
not not have an expectation of result, but just to continue to show up in love. Because when you see someone on a destructive cycle, you do get these ebb and flows where you are given hope and you feel like things are going well, and then the bottom will fall out, and um, and they return to the things that are destroying them. And um, to keep that consistency, your drive can't be off of like for me personally. I, I, my journey started with my nephew who um, was by the age of 19 had been arrested 23 times. And I think I even realized that when I first set out to help him, I was going to save him. And that that was, you know, what I thought that I could do. And my journey with his journey, and he's actually incarcerated right now. And we've had moments where he's lived with us and moments of high success and, and really, really low failures. Um, And the only thing that, has gotten me through it is, is really the work that it's done like that, that onion peeling layered stuff I was talking about before where I was learning about myself and the process and like why I was in it, you know, with him and, and what I was trying, what I needed out of the situation. And um, because in order to like really show up for someone, your, your needs kind of have to get put on the back burner. And that's the only way that, you know, the ups and the down. I mean, that Teresa said it perfectly with your hands just being open and just like, I'm just going to show up and just keep loving you and um, not have an expectation of return. Wow. What, yeah, what sorry, an awesome that's story. Like, that's the raw stuff that's hard to talk about. <laughs> and, and I would just add to that, that, that loving isn't always warm and fuzzy. You know, loving is often the hard, you know, um, I had a young lady that lived with me for um, six months that, Um, you know, I wrote out a whole contract for her, you know, and I love her dearly. And I knew, you know, she had had such a traumatic life and I wanted to give her time to be in a a safe, loving home for a while. And I wanted her to be able to stay longer, but I said, here are some of the things, the, the boundaries that you are welcome to stay. These are the things, but you know, you, these are things I won't allow you know, in my home. And as long as you agree to this and I had her sign it, you know, the whole thing's, it's very clear. Um, then if you make these choices, then you won't be able to stay here. And those were the hard, you know, um, you know, of course there was a couple times and I said, okay, you know, remember that, remember we talked about the agreement that you agreed to, that we talked through that are my boundaries, you know, um, and, and to have a safe, healthy, um, you know, living space and yes, yes, yes. And so anyway, we got to the place. I gave her a few chances. We talked it through. I said, if, if you choose to do this again, then you are choosing, I'm not kicking you out, but you will be choosing to leave my home. And that will make me very sad, but it's totally your choice. And so, um, you know, so then the last time she came home, you know, late at night, you know, high and drunk and, you know, cause I said, I'm not going to be worrying till like two in the morning every night where if you're in a gutter somewhere, right. So you have to call, you know, I have certain rules. You, if something happens, I'll come pick you up, but you may not just cause I, I can't not sleep every night and I go to bed early. Right. So, <laughs> um, and so she shows up, you know, drunk and high, super late. And I said, so welcome her in. And I hugged her. I said, are you, are you okay? Are you safe? Yes. I said, okay, upstairs, we'll talk in the morning. And, um, and then the morning I sat her down and I said, you remember our last conversation said, if you know, you made this choice again, then that would be the choice for you to leave my home. It would make me very sad. So, you know, you made that choice again. And so unfortunately, you know, you're going to have to leave. 
And that was super, you know, I love her, but it would not have been loving for me to continue to teach her to, to violate and do several of these things that were harmful to her and to me um, and, and set boundaries and then not keep them. That wouldn't be loving. Right. And so, you know, she went and got her trash bag and put all her stuff in, even though I'd given her a suitcase, right. Because there's the rejection sitting in of like, you're kicking out. And I kept saying, you know, you don't need to put your things in a trash bag. You know, I've given you a suitcase, you know, you're always welcome. I'm, you know, to come back and visit, you know, I love you. I'm always here. Like that hasn't changed. You have to move out, but my love hasn't stopped. I'm still in your life. So I kept trying to verbally, right. And, and so all that to say, love sometimes is, is boundaries. It does, it's not always warm and fuzzy. Um, now we're still in a relationship and it took her a while to come back because she was angry at me and hated me for a while and was in rejection, but then was able to reach back out and say, I understand. And I, you know, and, and so those things are, it's messy, right? That's just real life, but being consistent, making things not personal, um, staying in relationship, even when you have to do, it's like parenting, you know? Yep. And I think too, like, you know, I, I can't, Teresa talking reminded me of a similar story that we experienced. And, you know, my husband makes a, I, I was raised in really with a great family and didn't have a lot of hardship growing up and he's the opposite. So we kind of make a good team of tough love and like I can love tenderly and he can be tough <laughs> because um, I sometimes don't have the strength, like what Teresa's talking about, it's so much strength um, to love somebody where in a, the way that's best for them and not just the way that feels good. And I remember there was one night where we had same similar situation where we had given warnings and warnings. We had a contract too. And, and he, um, the young man that was living with us came home visibly high again. And then my husband found drugs in the house and we have two small children. And right there on the spot, he told him that's, that's the breaking point. If that happens, like we're done because we have small children in the house, you can't bring your drugs into the house. And we found them immediately that night, my husband put him out. And he became homeless in that moment. And I was devastated. I was in tears. I was hurting. I was like, how can we just like put him out on the street? And my husband said something to me that I will never forget because it was really, um, it was really profound. And it came from his experience. He said, Allison, you're fearing his circumstances right now because you've never experienced it. He was like, I've been homeless. I've been hungry. And I want him to become the man that he was designed to be. Right now, you're trying to save him from discomfort and I'm trying to save his life. And you need to look at the difference and you need to understand the difference. And it was true. I, I didn't I wanted to save him from the discomfort of having to find a place outside to sleep on the road. And my husband was trying to help him understand the consequences of his actions so that he could hopefully, you know, have a turnaround and embrace his life in the way he was meant to live it. But um but yeah, it's I'm I'm I would say Teresa is better at it than I am, and certainly my husband is. Is like the the tough love part is is really difficult, especially when you have a mama's heart. Well, you know, John, I have to say this: these young ladies' hearts for the work that they do and the people that they serve and their willingness to go the extra mile is just phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I mean, the conversation here. Um, I haven't experienced some of that. It's not, I just hadn't been in that place to where I had to have tough love. I wrote a contract with my teenage son about his computer and phone usage, you know? <laughs>
And I had to, I had to explain to my wife, like, we can't keep going over this contract with him with his phone. Let's just yeah. take the phone. Yep. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah, we've experienced in our family and Teresa, like you said, I mean, so much of this is family dynamic, right? When you choose to be a part of your community in a transparent um, and evocative way where people are going to bring their best to the game and they're going to bring their worst to the game, mm -hmm. um, then you've got to be ready uh, for the fact that you're going to see stuff inside yourself, like you were talking about, Allison, that comes to the surface. Um, and you're going to see things in them that move it away from, uh, uh, pardon my reference, Allison, the movie script of what you said you're setting out to do. So I think of old school. I think it's such a beautiful storyline and something that people are always attracted to. Um, but Teresa, I know you enough to know um, there's times in the midst of it all that uh, big questions do come to the front and uh, you wonder what kind of impact. So, yeah, I agree with you, Strick. Uh, these are these are women of courage and also um, of honesty to bring a lot of what we're talking about. Um, you know, I'm curious too. Is as it relates to um, each of you, you? You've talked about sort of how you've leaned into others to make um, what you're doing work. Um, Talk about that a little bit too, uh, as far as the the people that are around you that have said, "Yeah, we'll immerse uh, in this with you." And what does that community look like? What has that been like as far as a sounding board and value points to to each of you, uh, Teresa? Again, there's a lot of levels of it, I would think, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Um... For me, it's just, I think it's so exciting to work collaboratively because um, my hope is that a lot of people, when they come into the restaurant or they get our newsletter, they see a video that there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that feel like, oh, I had a part in that, you know, because it really was um, so many people. I mean, you know, Allison and her her family, you know, that, that were a part of that building that, and that was such a foundational part. So my hope is that everything they're hearing, they're like, man, we, you know, God really used us. We had a huge part of a stake in that. Um, our city leaders, there's been, um, you know, several city leaders that have supported us um, to architects, to web designers, photographers, videographers. I mean, I could just name so many people that through, I've got all these great pictures. I'm doing sort of a timeline wall um, where it'll be just all of the people that the community that have surrounded our kids in so many different ways. I mean, I think about attorneys, like everything that it takes to run um, a nonprofit and a restaurant, a jazz club, chefs, and I think how beautiful to have this huge community of people and churches that have come around to love um, our, our children well. And I want our kids to have more than just me and a few people at old school. My goal is that when, when the young people leave old school, they feel like I have this whole community of support I can call on when things are tough, when um, there's, there's successes in my life, I get to text 10 different people that I know will rally around me, as well as I think as much as our youth need that community of support, I think um, those that have um, financial means, those that have maybe um, influence, whether they're in leadership in the city or other places, I think all of those that are coming to help our kids 
also need our youth. I think they need um, they need to to be a part of community too. So I feel like it's it's a win win on both sides um, because we're all meant to be connected and to serve one another. Um, and that's why I like that the dynamic isn't a you know I'm I'm fixing. Try to replay the question in my head. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead, John, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So when you think about community and the role of sort of that collaborative and that larger collective have played in your ability to um, both walk forward with what you've done um, and to grow as a part of that um, and that vitality, um, talk about that. That's, um, that's, so yeah, what popped into my head with that is you know, the, the old saying, it takes, you know, two heads are better than one. So obviously collaboration is easier. Lifting something with 10 people's hands to it as opposed to two people's hands makes the work easier. But I would say a bigger, grander design, probably God's grander design behind people being involved is that the goal and the, and the mission to the things that we do in the places that we serve are less about, less about changing circumstance and more about weaving together community and people because our circumstances, no matter what, what side of the track you live on, no matter what your circumstance is, it can change at any given moment. Like we're, you know, circumstances are, are flowing like a river and I don't, and I think that, but what's important and what's important in, you know, anytime you go into an area where you feel like has need or you want to serve, it's really about building community, not just the community, within the community you're in, but with yourself and other people. It's about, it's about what Urban Avenues is about. It's about tying together people. And so I think that's the the deeper part about getting others and getting a community involved is it creates the tapestry, which is the greater goal than changing people's unfortunate circumstance. The The goal is to create a tapestry of, of many people that are in their lives are intersecting with each other. And, you know, there's a lot of love and connection and exchange. And that can only happen if you've got lots of hands in the mix. Wow. I really like that image of tapestry because you can see it. I mean, it takes a lot of work to make a tapestry, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of uh, interlocking uh, beauty and colors and difficulty and trust um, as a big part of it. Um, maybe let's think about that too. How has trust played uh, an important component uh, part of of what the two of you have been able to uh, walk through and accomplish. We talked a little bit about uh, trust and trusting God in the midst of it. Um, talk about the trust that you're developing with the communities that you both affect, and how big of a part of that, or is that, excuse me, and and your actual ability to be effectual with what you're doing. Well, I know for me, that was one of those moments where I had to learn and grow because I was raised in a household where I was given trust freely. And so then when I'm working with people who don't trust me immediately, like there was, I, I, that was a foreign thing. I had to, you know, there was some things I had to work through there of like getting someone to trust me. And I started to learn because when there isn't a foundation of trust and there's been a lot of pain and a lot of, um, a lot of violations, that have happened in people's journey, the sometimes the best way to establish trust is through conflict. And I 
so I started learning how to embrace like conflict. And because that was when, like when things get tested, that was when the relationship started to grow because I, you know, if there was a moment where it would have been hard to stay and I choose to say, I build trust. And so, um, so that for me, I would say like learning to not be scared when things are not easy because there's opportunity there to build trust in the relationship. That's great. What about you, Teresa? Yeah, I think um, exactly. It just takes time, you know? And so we, I structured our program to be at least two years. It doesn't mean that you have to stay that long, but I feel like it usually takes, um, depending on the young person, you know, around six months, you know, of, of them, you know, watching consistency and um, to build that. And it's hard to do a whole lot of deeper inner work until there's trust. And so I want there to be enough time for them to feel like it was safe to let their walls down and then have enough time to really build upon that. Um, and it just means showing up, can, being consistent. Um, and like Allison said, through conflict, it means, you know, showing that because you've, you've made a, a poor choice or you've um, done something that's harmful or hurtful doesn't mean that um, I'm going to pull away or reject you or not love you anymore there'll be a consequence. You know, we've had to, we sometimes fired kids like two or three times <laughs> and we'll let them come back. Right. And it's like, um, I think all of that stuff of, you know, people will often say, well, um, what's your success rate or what's, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean by success? You know, to me, success is a young person that we've had to fire a couple times that, you know, three years later reaches out and asks me to, um, you know, uh, help them, you know, with their, it's Black Friday and they bought something and they don't have a car to bring it home or, you know, I mean, crazy stuff that they're like, I still feel like I could call Mama T, even though I know I've, you know, been fired. They just know there's unconditional love there uh, for random stuff that you would only do with a parent, right? Like, um, it's like, hi, it's nine o'clock at night. Will you come to Best Buy and (laughs) (laughs) give me a ride home with, you know, it cracks me up. But to me, even though that seems like a silly thing, it's like, you thought, who can I call that I know loves me that even though they had been fired a couple times and didn't leave under great circumstances, like, you know, can reach back out and know there's a, there's a place that I'm loved. There's somebody I can call on. And so it's just, yeah, it's the, it's the long, the long journey, not the success to me isn't from A to B um, straight line. It's, it's uh, building trust over time. Wow. Yeah, that unconditional love is in short quantity out there. So when you get a chance to experience it, as messy as that might be, it's going to be transformational. So that's very cool to hear hear you walk through that. Strick, I tell you, this has been an amazing set of conversations today. For us to be fortunate enough to, at Urban Avenues, number one, have friends like Teresa, like Allison, that'll step out of what I know are incredible, busy, busy, busy places for them right now at the end of this year and come join you and I. Uh, Wow. What a great thing. John, I am completely blown away by these young ladies story and what they're doing, like the work that they're doing for their community. Um, True jewels. I mean, we need stories like this to uh, to be heard. And you know, I say that when we have a filmmaker, you know, as part of this story, and I'm sure she understands how important it is to continue to impact people, and at the same time, uh, 
expose other people to the work because in community, you know, sometimes all you need is to give someone some inspiration. And this has yeah. definitely been inspirational for me today. I, I got to find something good to do for somebody like today, ladies. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let's, let's take that thought. And, uh, and I'd love to hear us all talk about uh, even the inspiration that's just small things, big things that's run across our world in the last few weeks. Um, that's a big part of what I think the Urban Avenue story should be on, a, on, on an ongoing basis is how do we encourage each other with the light that we see out there? So um, small things that you've seen in the last uh, few weeks. Allison, what about you? Um, I actually would, I had an interesting lunch with a woman uh, last week in Atlanta that was really inspiring. I'm going to completely botch her name, uh, but uh, her name is um, Marzia. Um, she's Iranian. And she wrote a book called uh, Captive in Iran. And um, she was imprisoned uh, for her faith. Um, she was a Muslim that converted to Christianity, which is illegal in Iran. So wow. I got the pleasure of like sitting down and talking to her. And the biggest thing I can tell you, I walked away from that lunch just being completely inspired by and listening to her stories and the details of behind her stories of what her life was like when she was imprisoned was how your circumstances really do not define your joy and your peace and how you can, you can make a choice to have um, a really purpose-filled, joy-filled life, even amongst the most unimaginable circumstances. And I mean, of course her circumstances were beyond anything I've ever experienced in my life yet. She found purpose in it and she found joy daily and peace. And um, so I will say that was a pretty inspirational lunch to have somebody you know, expose to me like how um, how our circumstances are really just as as short and fleeting as the day that we're in. That's amazing. That is amazing. Teresa, what about you? Um, my mom is um, continues to be an inspiration to me. So Old School is actually named after her, Cora Jean's Old School Cafe. And one of the things I love about her, she's such a prayer warrior. So she turns 86 this month. And she has this, this book, it's just, I mean, it's like a few papers together that she has people that she's been praying for, for like 25, maybe longer, 30 years. And she has like days of the week. And so she'll sometimes ask me about some of my kids from like years ago. Um, she'll ask me about, I mean, she's literally asked me how someone is doing that I've even forgotten, like might've been somebody that I encountered, like. 15 years ago that I asked her to pray for that she's still faithfully praying um, that I don't even maybe remember who that person was like that's so just watching her, she's very quiet and she's um, just so faithful. And, and I, she continues to inspire me in the way that I think she moves mountains by that like solid, consistent faith and how she just prays for people without giving up, without knowing answers to those prayers, without having some kind of encouragement of, oh, I know this big breakthrough happened. She just continues to faithfully pray without, again, kind of holding open hands without knowing the results. And that really inspires me. That's fantastic. Strick, what about you? Well, um, I'm glad you asked, John. Well, it was a couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to, actually, John, our time together was really inspiring to me. 
Um, you know, we come from almost two different worlds, but uh, sitting down and seeing uh, your place, Stonehenge out there, and you telling the stories about your father and the ideas that you have for um, that building, it just blew me away. Um, I, I remember talking about the piece of the puzzle that you have in your heritage and being able to show people with a physical building what life is about. Um, sharing that with you and you sharing that story with me was uh, humbling uh, for me to think about, you know, my heritage and maybe some pieces to the puzzle that I don't have. Or I may say that uh, wasn't really the best, but uh, becoming whole and being a real whole person, being able to say, hey, I might not have the best, uh, just like the building, uh, your building, you can see different parts of that house actually being built over time. And you tell right. the whole story and you being able to present the whole story as a house that is now uh, continuing to impact people and the use of it for office and building and also for small groups. I was just blown away by um, wow. what you're trying to do and the story that you're telling and the opportunity for people to come and even have a place to reflect there. It was really cool and inspiring to me. Wow, thank you so much. That's light and hope for me, my friend. And I enjoyed that uh, more than you'll ever know. Um, I think this week, if I had to pick a thing out of this week, I had lunch with a friend the other day that's a former police officer um, who's gone into counseling. So, Teresa, you guys could probably talk for a long time together. But uh, um, in the process, he has this vision that he is so just jazzed about. Um, related to creating upstream opportunities um, to connect um, a community specifically with the idea of behavioral health type things and um, early breakdowns in depression and isolation and et cetera. Um, but do it in a way that it's, um, you can put, we can put hundreds and hundreds of people together um, to do the work and to actually go out and be a part of the, um, the schools the Walmarts, the, um, uh, the community places that people meet that are just the natural places that people go. Um, and he's got a vision for deploying something that catches these upstream early incident factors um, that affect a lot of the downstream things that Teresa and Allison have been talking about today and that, that we see. So he inspired me. The guy was just uh, over the top enthusiastic about it and, uh, uh, so in the process that left me energized from that. So, wow, we are in, we are uh, grateful once again to be in a community like we're in, not only in Birmingham, Alabama, but if this community in Birmingham, Alabama has something unique and special that we're working to accomplish, um, then what could that mean for the state of Alabama? And what could that mean for the South? And what could that mean for our country? And we are so inspired by people like you, Teresa, in San Francisco, and Allison, you as a daughter of the South and a daughter of Alabama um, to have the vision that you've got. So Strick, this was a great one. It really was, John. Um, ladies, thank you again for your time and for your stories and much success to you. And our prayers go out to you as well. Uh, this has been our first porch sitting podcast, John. You yeah. done, like this is your idea and you pulled it off, sir. No, I was following you all the way through, but what a gift to have uh, uh, the ability to be up behind the mic with you, Strick. And uh, this is our first one. We've got it. Uh, we've got it under wraps now. 
What a great conversation with Teresa Goins and Allison Kovac. This conversation of living in the gray is exactly what we talk about in Porch Sittings groups. Right now, we're hosting virtual groups that meet once a month to dive deeper into topics like the one we discussed today. If you're interested in learning more,